How is everybody tonight? Excellent. So I, I want a little uh, little theology 101 here. All right, we're gonna we're gonna define some theological terms. You guys, we can kind of make it a game here. All right. Uh, there's a term called soteriology. Anyone besides Dave and Alan know what soteriology is? Mickey? No. We'll get to that one in a second. I just gave the next one away. Uh, it's the study of something. That's accurate. It's tricky. Soteriology. Yes. I want you to tell me the definition of soteriology. <laughs> uh, anybody? It's the study, the doctrine of salvation. All right? So let's, th- let's then think about, we've, we already know the answer to the next question. Let's do it Jeopardy style. You'll have to come up with a question. The answer to the question is a study of the Holy Spirit. So what is... What is that? What is, what is that term? If soteriology, and if you were paying attention in the sermon, you might be able to come up with it. That's right. It's pneumatology. The study of the Spirit is, the Holy Spirit is pneumatology. So the reason I bring that up is because this is, this is the wrestling match that happens in my brain. I have this really strict and hard definition, and, and I've, I've learned a lot in recent years about what soteriology is. Um, I've studied it deeply, right? And not so much with pneumatology. I've studied it, but not nearly as, as hardcore as soteriology. Um, maybe 10 years ago, my soteriology was beginning to get challenged and thinking through what that looks like and what the salvation process is and what role that I had to play in it, what role God had to play in it, all those things wrestle. And so this is like a prevailing ology in my brain, okay? And so, since this is prevailing and captures most of my attention and most of my thought, it begins to seep into and, and inform my pneumatology. Make sense? My soteriology says, Ephesians 2, I've got nothing to do with it. God has everything to do with it. I did nothing to save myself. I was predestined. I was ordained, I was chosen, I was elect by God, right? And so that affects all of my thinking towards God. And incorrectly so do I apply that idea and that understanding to my pneumatology, all right? And, and our group last week talked a lot about that. And, and well, I talked a lot about that in our group. Um, and it just this idea of who God is from a Holy Spirit standpoint is holistic in itself. And so the, the wrestling match that I have, and probably most of you, because you go to this church and you've been exposed to Dave and I's teaching and that sort of soteriology, it can creep into our pneumatology, all right? And so what I want to kind of fight against this, this evening is allowing those two things to bleed into one another. Because Scripture is teaching us, and we'll look at some of the stuff today, that we have a very distinct and very important role 
in our interaction with the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's vital for us to come to grips with. And in my little brain, I, I, like, I rebel against my having any sort of role in the relationship. And that's where my soteriology creeps into my pneumatology incorrectly. So let's, let's kind of walk through these, this, this stuff a little bit together, all right? Um, before we get there, I want to share a story that kind of defines, because most of where we'll go is how our sin keeps us from the sort of connectivity that's possible with the Holy Spirit. But there's also a second part of that that I don't want to dismiss, that our ignoring of the Spirit's leadership dampens and hampers our connectivity to the Holy Spirit. Example. Um, you guys may have heard me tell the story before. When I was dating my wife, we were engaged, and I was running from something that God had called me to while we were engaged in dating in that whole situation. And just relationally everywhere, me and my wife, me and my parents, me and her mom and, and Jen and my parents and family, and just relationships were just not right. And we broke off, well, I broke off our engagement. Um, and it was really a hard, difficult situation. Uh, and then I took a week and fasted through lunch and sat in my car and walked through experiencing God, uh, maybe 10 or 12 days of experiencing God, fasting in my car through lunch, thinking and praying. And it, it was in my car at uh, BMAC, the Bridgeton Municipal Athletic Complex. I was sitting right there when I, I finally dealt with what God was, was speaking to me that I was not where I needed to be, and I needed to be in ministry. And there was, there was an issue in my brain that if I went into ministry, I think kind of on the surface was, like, I like to play uh, poker with my friends back in the day, and I thought to myself, one, I can't do that anymore if I'm in ministry, and two, if I even have a craving to do that, not this, that I, I'm going to have to give it up, but instead, I shouldn't even want to do that. And therefore, there's something wrong with me, and God couldn't use that. You follow that? Um, and, and other things, like my favorite movie was, was Goodwill Hunting at this time, and, and that's a movie that, like, the language is not good, right? And I thought... I'm going to have to not see movie, rated R movies ever again. I could never see. And not just that, but why would, I, why would that even excite me to, go, to want to watch a film like that? And these are all the things that I'm wrestling with, and I don't want to give it up. And because I don't want to give that up, and because I doubt who God has called me to be because I, I enjoy those things, I ran from God and said no to the, to the leadership of the Spirit for five, six, seven years. So here's what happened. Finally, I laid it down. I began to talk with my pastor at the time about what that looked like and, and all those things and began to look into seminary and, and just all the different things that it looked like. And then finally, I, I, I told my church, hey, God has called me to this. And, you know, they patted me on the back and, yay, yippee, everybody cried and sweet little Ricky Rue. And um, so, like, almost instantaneously... Like, all of the junk that was messing with my relationship with Jen dissipated and was gone. 
And so there, the, the, the point is, is that there's, a, there's this massive thing that happens in our lives that we can quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at those two words deeply in just a minute. One of those ways is sin. And that's easy for us to deal with. And then we can see the immediate practical response of how sin affects our relationship with the Holy Spirit. But the thing that's not quite so easy to deal with and took, you know, this time of fasting and prayer and, and seeking the face of the Lord for me to come to grips with is ignoring the leadership of the Spirit. And so, like, one of the things I hit on a lot on Sunday was what you think of yourself is way smaller than what God thinks of you. And chances are, God is calling someone in this room to something really big. And chances are, that really big thing that God is calling you to, you have got adept in ignoring that. Or pushing it to the back of your brain where you only think about it when you're really, really tired and your defenses are down. But then you get really good at like just ignoring it. And I'm here to say the Spirit of God can be quenched if you continually ignore him. One of my heroes of the faith of the guy named, is a guy named Matt Kearns, and he was talking about, he was having this conversation with a friend about what we're going to do, what, what God's got for us next. And they're thinking about, like, what is God's direction for my life? Somebody at the booth next to them in a the restaurant walks by and says, I can't help but overhear your conversation, and I feel like I need to say one thing to you. Okay, what is it? Please. Like, they're thinking, we've been talking about, hey, we need the, the Spirit of God to come and move. Maybe you're it. Um, what are we supposed to do next? And the lady said, how do you know what God is calling you to do? And, and they said, well, how do you do that? And he said, well, she said, well, did you do the last thing he told you to do? And it like shook him. And so like we're going to talk a lot, probably for, for the rest of our time tonight, we're going to talk about how sin quenches and grieves the Holy Spirit. But I don't want to miss this idea because I think it's vital for us that God has got something for us. And, and maybe as I'm explaining these things to you, the Holy Spirit is, is bringing that thing from the back of your main, mind to the front of your mind, that he has something for you, and he's been telling you for a long time. And I promise you, God will bring, or circumstances will happen. I don't know if it's God or Satan or what, but hardship comes into your life when you ignore the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe me, go talk to Jen about what it looked like for the first two years of our relationship. It was really hard because I was ignoring the Holy Spirit. So let's, uh, let's dig into to what we've got tonight. Um, first, let's, uh, let's see this word grieve. Grieve in the scripture is simply to cause sorrow. Um, we're going to get to it in, in just a bit where it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. But I want to think through a little bit about what this word grieve is. The Greek word lupeo, to cause sorrow. Um, here it is in Matthew 19. When the young man, the rich young ruler who Jesus said, sell all your possessions to. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You guys have heard that story before and connect with that story before and connect with like this dude was really grieved because he was going to have to give up his prize, his treasure. He was grieved. So you can connect with that emotion this guy was feeling. This is this Greek word, lupeo, grieved. 
Matthew 26, 22. Um, this is the disciples around Jesus at the, uh, at the Last Supper when Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And they say to him, whoa, wait, is it, can't, is it me? Is... And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? The emotion the disciples felt when Jesus told them, one of you will, will betray me, that sort of grieving is this same Greek word, lupeo. Next one, Jesus in the garden. After, talking, after taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus was this lupeo, this Greek word, grieving in the garden. You know, remember the drops like sweat, like drops of blood were coming from his, his pores and his face, and he was deeply grieved. This is the same word, the same Greek word, the emotion. I think we can connect with the emotion of each one of these things and what Jesus walked through and what the disciples walked through and all this stuff, but this is what happens for us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The same idea, the rich young ruler, the grief that was in his heart, the disciples, the grief that was in their heart, Jesus, the grief that was in his heart in the garden, this is the same word, the same emotion that we have and we place upon the Holy Spirit when we continue, we, we struggle with the same sin, we, we, we fail to repent of that sin, we ignore the Spirit of God and what he's called us to, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And this is where it messes, really, 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 really messes with my pneumatology, because my soteriology creeps in. And I think probably a lot of you are that same way. We don't want to have a role in our relationship with God. But the fact is, we do. And that's really hard to hear. Because we know the depth of our sin. And that's why, like, church... A local expression of a church is so vitally important. We need people looking into our lives, challenging the sin in our lives, because we're really good. Just like I ignored the Spirit of God's call in my life for seven years. We're really good at pressing away God's call in our life. We're really good at rationalizing our sin, putting it away from us, ignoring it, pretending like it's not there. But when we're in community, when we're in a real church that looks at each other's sin and challenges us with those things, these things begin to bubble to the surface and we can lay them at the feet of God and renew, restore, heighten our connectivity with the Spirit. Second Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that God has given to you because God didn't give you a spirit of fear. And this is what's happening here. We are, as we're walking through this whole study of the Holy Spirit, this is, this is the purpose for us to understand who he is and then begin to understand our role and, and pushed in towards it. There's another scripture uh, talking about quenching the Holy Spirit. It is that Greek word. Something about... Spinumi or something, I don't know. Uh, but it's, 
as it appears in this portion of Scripture, it's a metaphor meaning to suppress or stifle divine influence. A lot, like, if you want to study deep and further into this, the, the, the field guide is great. And also John 15 is great. John 15 uses a metaphor of vine and the branches and bearing fruit and all those things. And it has to do with us connecting to God and opening the pathway of spirit, of pneumas to come into us. And this is what quenching looks like. To quench something is this metaphor of suppressing or stifling divine influence. Have you guys, have you guys seen this to be true? Can anybody, is anybody brave enough to give me an example of something that's going on or has gone on in your past where this has been true? Where you have suppressed divine influence in your life? Either through sin or through ignoring the Spirit of God. Sierra. like, here's the thing, and I want, I want to challenge a few of you right now, because a few of you are probably cynical in this moment, saying that's ridiculous. A few of you are, are probably like, I, I, like, I'm right there with you, Sierra, but there's some of you in this room that are really cynical right now. Stop it. Because that, like, if, if the whole Rick Jen thing wouldn't have happened, I would be cynical. And, and probably there's, there is still a part of me that's, that's cynical about that. What else? Somebody else?
figured them all out, and it manifested in just like turning away from like all things that I like what I who I was. Like I just stopped. It became very numb, and I stopped like reading my Bible. I stopped praying. I stopped all forms of connection with God. Um, and it, there was never a hatred. There was never a like a. There it was just a. I'm, I'm, it was. I wasn't angry with God. I was just like I don't know who I am, and that was part of who I was. And so I just stopped. And I was telling them last week that, and it was probably about a year, year and a half. And like the beauty of it is the Lord was so near the whole time, but He just kept saying, "You're missing out. You're missing out." And I knew what that missing out was because <clears throat> um, I like the study on the Holy Spirit is probably like, one of my favorite. Like right now, inside. I was I love, I love um, the power that we have in God and how he uses us. And so I'm at the core, I had my kind of like I had several um, times that I could say that was Holy Spirit using me in this person's life. And that was Holy Spirit using me in this person's life. And like I've seen power. I've seen the Lord use people and I've seen the power that he has. And so that whole year, like I knew what that meant. Him saying like, you're missing out on my blessing was, I, you're missing out on me using and that was the blessing. It wasn't like me feeling like my cup was filled. It was that blessing when you're used. And so like I just had quenched him. Like he didn't leave me. He was very near. And he didn't just turn his back and reject me, even though like that's what I was doing. But he was like, You're not living power. And I knew, so I knew that there was a difference. It wasn't uh, like God's really far away. It was I I can't use you because yeah. I you don't, you can't understand, like, you can't hear me. You don't know when I'm saying, like, call that person. This is what I want you to say to this person. Like, I didn't have that connection. It was separate. So, that's good. And that's, that's like, this is a, a great tension. I, I brought up the soteriology, pneumatology thing. There, this is a great tension because, like, the words that, that we studied on Sunday about being clothed with the Spirit, this fixed position of rest that we have, fixed position of rest, and being baptized being immersed with the Holy Spirit continually. Like, you can't dismiss him altogether. But the tension is, you do have a role in the sensitivity, the connectivity that you have to him. So, like, you can't get rid of him, but there's a role where you can ignore him or his voice gets softer or his, the connection is, is worsened. And so this is, like... Everywhere in life, there's tensions everywhere, and this is one of them. This is a, a great one to live in and kind of just wrestle with and try and be, be pulled in both directions and get to the bottom of, of what it is. Um, let's, let's keep going with this idea of, of quenched. Uh, here, 1 Thessalonians 5.19, Scripture says that we are not to quench the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to read uh, a quote from John Gill. Um, talking about what this means to quench the Holy Spirit. This is kind of deep, so let's walk through this slowly together. Uh, quenching the Spirit, by which is meant not the person of the Holy Spirit, but the graces of the Holy Spirit. I want to stop for a second and, and talk about that. We don't have the ability to quench the person of the Spirit, that whole clothed in the Spirit, a fixed position of rest. We don't have the ability to kick him out. All right? But we do have the ability to dampen, this is quench, to, to dampen, to suppress 
The power, the graces of the Spirit. The, and the graces of the Spirit are faith, hope, love, joy, intimacy, all these things. Listening, sensitivity. We have the ability to quench, to dampen, to suppress those things in our lives. All right? Let's keep going. Feel free to stop for a sec- if you want me to explain more here. And though these cannot be totally extinguished and utterly put out and lost, yet they may be greatly dampened. And all through indulging some sin or sins by keeping ill company and by neglecting the ordinance of God, prayer, preaching, and other institutions of the gospel. Let's slow down and, and talk about that for a second. My, my mind is a, a raging fire around a campfire. Like, um, we used to do these a lot. We, I could, Jim was always worried when we'd have a campfire, like, we, she wouldn't want to leave it even covered outside. She would want me to put water on it, right? And so I would do that. And I, I poured water on it. It was one Friday night I poured water on it. Then the next night I went out there to kind of dump the ashes and I picked it up. And the bottom of the pit, pit was still like fire hot. Even after I'd hosed it off the night before and spent like 12 hours um, just sitting there. And the next day it's still hot. And I dug around with the stick and there's still embers in there that a little bit of is going to and and some dry wood and a fire is going to happen and that's exactly what this is talking about we can pour water on the spirit of god but the ember is still there and we need a little bit of what is that breath pneuma we need a little bit of the spirit blown upon this fire, and it's a flame again. And the beautiful part about this is like really intellectual to think through, but the beautiful part of it, it's in you, right? And you have a role in its flamingness. And it's it's huge. There's like four of you laughing at my word makeup there. Um, but go, go to the, the middle of this John Gill quote here. Um, we can dampen it by indulging in sin or sins, by keeping ill company, and by neglecting the ordinance of God. I would add to it ignoring him. But here are John Gill's ordinances of God, which stoke and breathe, fought, breathe air onto your your ember, making into a flame, prayer, preaching, and other institutions of the gospel. Um, Richard Foster, a uh, hundred years ago or so, wrote a book called uh, Celebrating Discipline, talking about the spiritual disciplines. Read it. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, Don Whitney wrote a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Read it. This is blowing the Spirit of God onto your ember to bring it into a fire. These are two great books. Um, I, used, I, I used to have a copy of both of them, and if you've noticed my, my Facebook and Twitter, I've been asking for where they are, and nobody's speaking up. Uh, so if you got them, there's going to be a whole bunch of junk in your life because you're ignoring the... <laughs> uh, all right. Wherefore, such an exhortation is necessary to quicken saints... And stir them up to the use of those means whereby those graces are cherished 
and preserved in their lively exercise, though rather the gifts of the Spirit are intended. This is deep, rich stuff that God wants to pour into your life, and it's rooted with this idea of quenching the Spirit. I want to close my time of teaching with uh, reading something on page 34 of your field guide. If you want to, if you want to look there, it's something uh, about halfway down under the First Thessalonians 5.19 heading on page 34. Um, the part that's in italics under the asterisk there. When we choose to walk in sin as opposed to surrendering to the Holy Spirit, we throw a little wire, water on the fire of the Spirit's filling in our lives. When we choose to repent of that sin, the fire of the Holy Spirit is fanned into flame again. The more we walk in unrepentant sin, the more we throw water on the fire of the Holy Spirit and forfeit His power in our lives. Do you see the, the role that we have here? We forfeit His power in our lives. When this happens, and we choose not to repent of sin, we are forced to manufacture Christian fruit. Fruit that otherwise is spirit-wrought. Hence the term fruit of the Spirit. I want to I wrestle with this here because... Like, here's another idea. This, the true definition of repentance is it's the Greek word metanoeo. And you've probably heard me teach about this before. And it really means an essence change of our brains. And something that at the core of it, we are not capable of. And this is, this, there, there's a little nuance to to repentance in our role in repentance we are not capable of changing what we crave sin that's in us causes us to crave to get pleasure for ourselves here and now when the holy spirit comes into us metanoia happens the essence of our brain and what we crave happens we are given the opportunity to choose God. That's what the whole being dead and being made alive is. Dead men don't have the ability to choose God. God has to quicken their spirits. And that's the Holy Spirit coming into us. So that we have the opportunity to feel sorrow, to feel regret, to feel a need to repent of our sin. Do you see the, the difference? We have the ability to confess and ask God's forgiveness for our sin. We don't have the ability to change our brain. But those who have given their lives to Christ have been given that gift, have had that done to them, so that we can have the opportunity to choose God. And, and it's like we can get really intellectually deep and think through all these things, but it's really pretty simple. When you are pursuing the things of God, when you are practicing the disciplines, praying, preaching, Bible study, Bible memorization, community, confession of sin, when you're practicing those things, the Spirit of God is near to you. When you are doing what you want, giving in to your lustful desires, and we, we equate lust with sex, but lust is just trying to get pleasure for self. When we give in to our lustful pleasure-desiring selves, the Spirit of God is distant from us. It's really pretty simple, but it's really pretty deep. It's, it's beautiful God. Let's, uh, 
Let's pray and let you kind of hash some of this stuff out uh, together in your groups. God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to kind of study and think. Father, I pray for depth in our conversation. And I also pray for simplicity in our conversation, Father. I pray you would guide our thoughts, guide our study, guide our conversation. Allow us to plumb the depths of you, Father. Teach us about your spirit. Teach us about our sin and our repentance. Teach us about our role in pneumatology, Father. God, you're beautiful. God, use this time to teach our hearts and give us intimacy with you. In Christ's name, amen.